I want to remind you that the Psalms are basically a collection of songs. You know, we might call this section of the Bible the songbook of the Bible. I was even reminded this past week from Zach, who himself is a songwriter, that songs are often written out of the experience of the songwriter. The song then becomes the writer's expressions of emotion that seem unable to be expressed any other way. It is the writer's attempt to explain what he or she is experiencing and feeling, and then even sometimes what they hope will happen in the future. There's no doubt as we begin today looking at Psalm 4 that this is a psalm out of the experience of King David and the emotion he is feeling in the moment. Most believe that this psalm and the previous psalm, Psalm 3, go together and were written as David was fleeing from his son Absalom, who was trying to take the throne from his father. And so what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to read the text, and we're going to go through it, and then I'm going to take some time to explain the background of this psalm, and then we're going to come back again with some practical application for our day. And so if you have your Bible, open, follow along with me, Psalm 4, beginning in verse 1. David writes here, "'Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness.'" You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than you have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now, when this psalm begins, we see what, we, what can be considered a prayer or a plea to God. David wrote, answer me when I call, O God of righteousness. Some have even seen this as David almost demanding that God answer him. It is at minimum a strong belief in David that God should and that God would answer his prayer. It's important probably to note that David prayed this way because he had confidence before God. His confidence rested first in the fact that God was the God of righteousness on whom David had based his life. If you study the scripture, you know that David was considered a man after God's own heart. David didn't just claim to know God. He based his life upon trying to live for God. Even when he failed, David confessed that sin to God and he found restoration. David believed in this moment that the suffering that he was going through in in life was not justified. And so he prayed that God would vindicate him or rescue him. David also had confidence in this prayer because God had given him relief in the past. David had seen God, for example, give him victory over Goliath, a victory that came because of David's faith in God, not because of David's strength or his own righteousness. And because David had experienced God working in his life in the past, he came boldly to God now in his time of need, asking God to answer him. It might be good to also note that David asked God to be gracious to him and hear his prayer. Because even though David came boldly and confidently, he understood that for God to act on his behalf, it would be a gracious act. And so David pleaded with God for grace. Now, as David continues in verse 2, David has some words uh, for those who are coming against him. Notice it says the phrase, O men. If you look in the footnote, you can see that it also can be rendered, O men of rank. David is clearly here addressing those in power who are seeking to overthrow him. 
He asked how long these pursuers would turn his honor into shame. Let's keep in mind that David had been made king by God himself. David did not gain the throne of Israel because of his military prowess. He gained the throne because God had placed him there. And if you know David's story, you know that even after God had declared that David would be the next king of Israel, that Saul was still king. And David had been a faithful servant of Saul and did not even try to overthrow Saul at that time. David knew that if and when God wanted him on the throne, he would get him there. However, Saul, feeling threatened by David, tried to kill him and pursue him. And while David was on the run, he found himself hiding in a cave, and Saul came in that cave to relieve himself, and David could have ambushed him and killed him and taken taken the throne, but he didn't. Why? Because David knew at that moment Saul was still God's king, and so he was still going to honor the king even as the king pursued him. What David was trying to get those who now pursued him to realize is, is that they were failing to give honor to him, the honor that God had given him, and to wake up to their wrong motives and actions. He wanted them to see that their pursuit was selfish, and it failed to honor God. Now, as David addressed his pursuers, he asked, how long will will you love vain words and seek after lies? What David clearly recognized in his pursuers, as is the case with most people who are acting incorrectly, is that they were obviously listening to bad advice and not pursuing after truth. In this case, they somehow believed that they were in the right to seek to overthrow David and to pursue after his throne. The thing that was most forgotten was to consider God's desire. You can read in 2 Samuel 5 or 15 through 18 and see how off track Absalom and his supporters were. But what I love about this psalm is that David did not plead with God to destroy those who oppose him. Instead, he pleaded with his opposition to consider their ways and to follow God. If you look back at verses four and five, you'll truly see this because David said this. He says, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. He was seeking to to call them to the right heart and action. By saying, ponder your own hearts, he was asking them to truly consider the motives for their actions and ultimately to see if their actions honored God. One reason that David could do this is because he had experienced this need to check his heart in his own life. Most probably uh, here this morning know the sin that David committed with Bathsheba and then how he tried to cover it up by having Bathsheba's husband placed in a position to be killed in battle. David was well aware of this sin that he had committed and how for a period of time he was blind to his own sin. Therefore, he was calling his opposition to ponder their hearts and and their lives to see if there's something that needed to change. He truly wanted those who opposed him to see the error of their ways and ultimately to worship God correctly and put their trust in the Lord. For David, this should make sense to us, especially since this is Absalom who is addressing. Absalom was his son, and so in no way would David have wanted harm to come to Absalom. As a parent, you're always wanting your children to do right. Are you not parents in the room? Are they right? Parents in the home? You want them to do right. And even when they got off track, you'll do anything to help get them back on the right track. And if their actions hurt you, I mean, you don't like it, but you will absorb the pain in many ways if it means helping your child get back on track. And so David's words make sense to us. But David's words were not just for Absalom, but for all who opposed him. Notice the plural nature of what David wrote. He encouraged his opposition to ponder your own hearts, plural, and on your beds, plural. This was a plea for all of those who were opposing him to consider their ways, And since ultimately the goal was for them to put their trust in the Lord, this wasn't simply about them coming to David's side of thinking. 
David's call for them was to follow the Lord because, as I mentioned earlier, David's confidence rested in the fact that he knew that he was God's anointed and that he was trying to do what the Lord wanted himself to do. Now, in the midst of this, David even recognized that some mocked him and maybe even doubted him, but even more so, they doubted God. It could be that because David was suffering and so and was God's anointed, that there was doubt being experienced by some of those who were committed supporters of David and following him. Thus, their question was, who will show us some good? All right, His, Those that were with him, thinking that this was God's man, was wondering, who's going to show us good because everybody's coming against us? Well, in response, David offered a simple plea for God to work, for God to prove himself. And one thing that made David such a man after God's own heart was his desire to see God glorified. In fact, after David or God had made a promise to David that he would always have someone on the throne in 2 Samuel 7, this was the prayer that, that, that David offered up. He said, and now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken and your name will be magnified forever, saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established before you. In other words, David, above all, saw God's glory. So even his plea here for deliverance from his, uh, those who opposed him was more a plea for God's glory to be shown. After pleading with his opposition and addressing these doubters, though, David made a very powerful statement. David recognized that he had peace and joy even in the midst of his difficult state. What he really did was contrast his state of joy and peace with those who opposed him. Look at what he said again, and I have to read this again because it's so important. Look at verses 7 and 8. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Here David is making a declaration to God about how he'd given him joy and peace. Now, notice the qualifier. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. What is that saying? Well, let's again consider the situation. Here is David writing a psalm when he is on the run. He is fleeing and hiding from Absalom who is seeking to overthrow him. Actually, at this point, Absalom has temporarily taken the throne. Absalom has what he sought. Absalom would be the one we would see in the position of power and control. You might say in this moment, Absalom has gotten what he desired. The phrase, when their grain and wine abound, would have been a phrase that would speak to one who has plenty, one who has gotten what they wanted. It would be a phrase in this moment that would describe Absalom's position of having the throne. But what did David say? He said, he had more joy and peace in this moment than Absalom did. We might wonder, how could that be? But David understood that a person's joy and peace can never be found in the circumstances around them, that joy and peace are found in God and God alone. And so when one has a right relationship with God, joy and peace are found even in the difficult moments of life. Likewise, joy and peace are absent when one does not have a relationship with God, even if the circumstances of the moment seem favorable. Now, hopefully you see the background of this psalm. But let's understand something, that God had this psalm preserved for us for a reason. So, that we must, so what we must do now is look at what David wrote and consider, what does God want us to know? Why did he have this song preserved through the centuries and through the ages? Well, let's consider at least three principles we can learn. The first one being this. You can confidently approach God in prayer in his righteousness. What God would have us know is that we can approach him confidently in prayer. 
We can say like David, answer me, O Lord. As we face a pandemic, we can go to God in prayer and say, Lord, rescue us. Lord, protect us. Lord, stop this virus from spreading. As we face racial unrest in America, we can go to God and say, Lord, heal our land. Lord, bring justice to those who need it. Lord, bring us together. Lord, bridge the divide that is so apparent in our day. Lord, bring unity, bring healing. Lord, bring peace. We can go to God boldly with those prayers. As I say this, though, it requires almost an if. You can commonly bring those prayers to God if you go in his righteousness. Remember, David was able to offer his prayer confidently because of his relationship with God. He knew that he could pray for his deliverance from Absalom because God had placed him on the throne. He could go to God confidently in prayer because he was a man after God's own heart and had even proven to be a man when confronted with his own sin, repented. In Hebrews, it says this to all of us. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now, this is a verse that we like because it tells us we can go confidently in prayer. How many of you like the fact that the Bible says to go confidently to God in prayer? Y'all like that? All right. At home, y'all like that too, right? That it says you can receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We like that, that we can go to God and find, find grace for our time of need. However, what some forget is that what we can do is not based upon our own worth, but upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, this verse starts with, let us then, which reminds us that what follows is contingent on what came before. And just before verse 16 are these words in Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way has been, uh, in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. In other words, hear me. Your ability to go to God confidently in prayer is not based upon your worth or righteousness, but it is based upon what Jesus Christ has done for you, that he has sacrificed his life for you and now has become your great high priest. Therefore, those who can go to God confidently in prayer are those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ and who are living in that relationship. Jesus died so that you might have a relationship with God. And when you live in a relationship with him, he guides you into all righteousness a relationship with Jesus even makes it possible to enter prayer because you have first dealt with your own sin and confessed that sin where necessary in order to be able to approach God in confident prayer. But you can know that if you have a relationship with God, that you can go to God in prayer confident and find help in your time of need. Now, quickly, let me remind you, though, when you go to God confidently in prayer, it doesn't mean you're always going to get what you ask for. You will always get help. You will always get grace. You will always get strength for your time and need, but you may not get what you asked for. David didn't always get what he asked for. For example, when David prayed for his child to live when that child was sick, he didn't get that request. If you know the incident that I'm talking about, you know that the child died as a result of David's sin. But David still experienced God's strength and mercy. Even in that time, David went confidently to God, trusting God to do what was right. And though, God, though David didn't get what he wanted, God gave him peace. If you are a believer in Jesus today, you should know today you can go confidently to God in prayer and know that you can find help in your time of need. You can trust that he will give you grace. Now, we should also, though, learn this from the psalm. You should care about the heart of those who oppose you. Now, here's one thing that is very clear in our day is that people are very divided. 
Have y'all recognized that? Anybody recognize that? Raise your hand at home. Y'all recognize that too, right? If you didn't know it before, the last few weeks and a couple of months surely have shown us that we are divided people. I've mentioned it before, and I'm going to mention these again, that we are divided over politics, we are divided over religion, and we are divided over race to name the big three of our day. The pandemic has highlighted the first two. We speak today in the media about the blue states' approach to the pandemic versus the red states' approach to the pandemic, and then we take sides arguing that one is far superior to the other. This spills over into religion as one of the loud points of contention has been, where do churches fit into all the restrictions? And then on a more individual level, it is the differing views on when and how a church should regather for worship again. Then in the last week or so, as we've seen things boil over with the death of George Floyd and the reporting of the death of Ahmaud Aubrey, and then in Louisville, the death of Breonna Taylor, we are once again reminded that there is a division based upon race. And what we see clearly in this is people taking different sides. And let me tell you what, what, what I see. Most of the time, one side does not care about the other. And truly, it goes both ways. Now, let's be honest. Most of the time when someone opposes you or has a different opinion, what is your approach to that person? All right, think about that for a moment. When somebody opposes you, what is your approach to that person? Most of the time, is it not this? We write that person off. Let's just be honest. We write them off. I see people all the time with differing opinions who never take the time to listen to the other person, never try to understand why they believe the way they believe, never take time to understand their experiences, never try to understand their reasoning. People just write others off. And if we are real honest, in many cases, the death of the person who opposes us wouldn't bother us one bit. And if we're not going to go to that extreme, you at least wouldn't care if you didn't ever have to see that person anymore. Am I right? Y'all don't want to say amen, right? You don't want to raise your hand. Even at home, you're not going to say amen because you're afraid I'll hear you through the camera, right? We, we don't want to say that, but let's say that's how we often act. Here's what we have to understand. That's not the heart of God. God wants us to care for others and to care about their heart. I appreciate that in this psalm that David didn't pray for God to wipe his opposers off the earth. I appreciate that in this psalm, David was seeking for those who oppose him to see the error of their ways and to, above all, offer right sacrifices to God and put their trust in him. In other words, David wanted those who were doing wrong to begin to do right. He didn't want vengeance. He didn't want their punishment. He simply wanted them to do what was right. He cared about them, even pleading with them to ponder their own hearts. Oh, how I wish today we cared more for the hearts of those who oppose us rather than what I see on social media or on the TV or in person where people simply try to destroy their opponents rather than caring for their hearts. I want us all to know today, folks, people can change, okay? And we should be longing for the change in people's heart that they would be right with God, that they would be worshiping Him and doing what is right. Now, as I say this, I want to give you a reminder that David could approach those who opposed him this way because he knew that in this case, he had the heart of God. David knew that God had placed him on the throne, and David knew in this instant that his heart was right. And it reminds me that in order for you to have a heart for those who oppose you, you have to first make sure your heart is right. You see, David could call out the sin in others because he had first experienced dealing with sin in his own life, including at first being blind to it. 
I mentioned a while ago, but when David committed sin with Bathsheba and had her husband put on the front line in battle where he was killed, he was blind to what he had done as being wrong. It took Nathan, the prophet, whose heart was right with God, to confront him. But when confronted, David proved his heart by confessing that sin and even gracefully taking his punishment from God. And here's what we all have to do. We have to first check our own heart before we are concerned about the hearts of others, especially those who oppose us. In fact, I want everyone to take a moment this morning, everyone, wherever you're at, here at home, think about those who you feel you are in opposition to. Have you first made sure that your heart is right? Let's think about the issue of the last couple of weeks, all right? Have you stopped to make sure that you don't have racism in your heart? Now, most, especially here, and those listening today will be quick to say, well, I'm no racist. But be, be careful about being so quick to go there. If you have not taken the time to try and understand the heart and the plight of those of another color, then you cannot say that you are not racist. What should be clear by the events of the last week plus is that there is some kind of problem in America that must be addressed. And if you just turn your eyes to that and are not seeking to understand the problem and then help find solutions, then you have at least have some kind of racism in your heart. And so before you quickly condemn protesters or non-protesters, first take the moment to check your heart and let God deal with any attitude or actions that is wrong. And then once you know that you have your heart right and your actions are pleasing to God, then turn your heart to caring for the heart of those who oppose you. Don't turn your heart to opposing them, though. Turn your heart to loving them. Turning your heart to reaching them for God. Because isn't that ultimately what we've all been called to do? To reach others for God? I mean, if you are interested in destroying your enemy, seeing that your enemy is punished, rejoicing when your enemy suffers, then you have a ways to go. Because let's remember these familiar words of Jesus in Luke 6 when he says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Indeed, we are taught in this psalm to care for the heart of those who oppose us. Now, last you must know that joy and peace are found in God alone. I believe every, every one of us would say we long for peace and joy, do we not? We long for it, especially as we watch the news today. We're just saying, I want some peace, God. I want joy to return. When we pray, what are we longing for? We're, we're praying for peace and joy in our circumstances. When we think about those who oppose us, what we really would like is this. We want peace and joy in those relationships. We want to find joy in living, and we want such peace that we can lay our heads down at night and sleep. Well, David reminds us that joy and peace like this is possible, and it is not based upon our circumstances or surroundings. It's not even based upon whether everyone likes you. Joy and peace are found only in God and God alone. Let me remind you that when David wrote this psalm, he was fleeing from his own son who was seeking to take the throne and most likely was willing to uh, kill his own father if that's what it took to, to take the throne. And so David's circumstances were far from favorable, yet he still had joy and peace. Even as others opposed him, he could lay down his head and sleep. You see, so often we think this, if we can just find solutions to the current problems that we're facing, then everything will, is going to be okay. Right? Can I say this? Let me remind you this. There will always be problems in the world. Right? Because there's sin, there's always going to be a circumstance that's not perfect. There's always going to be a situation that's not perfect. So, so if you think, hey, it's, it's, it's all my problems, all the circumstances being okay, that's not it, okay? 
So often we think, again, if that just comes down, everything's going to be okay. But listen, folks, I will have joy and peace, all right, in my life, not because of my circumstances, all right, but when I have peace with God. See, we think with this, if there's calmness in our circumstances, listen, you need to know if there's calmness in your circumstances, there can be seemingly prosperity in your life and joy and peace can still be lacking. All right. It is truly God and God alone who can give you your peace and joy. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus who said this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, Jesus promised us peace, he said, but not peace like the world gives. Jesus promises an internal peace. Jesus promises an eternal peace. Jesus promised a peace that supersedes the external. Jesus promises a peace in your soul. It is what allowed him to say this in John 16. I have said these things to you that in me you might have peace because in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And what Jesus had tried to explain to them is how he was going to die for their sin and eventually resurrect before ascending back to heaven and how he would send the Holy Spirit to live in believers to guide them. And Jesus was trying to get them to understand this, that if you walk in a relationship with him, that there truly would be peace. Today, believers, you can go boldly to God in prayer because he wants you to and because he has made a way for you to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Also today, you can be concerned about the hearts of those who oppose you because that's what God desires. But above all today, believers, you need to know that joy and peace can be found only in Jesus. They they will not be found if you simply make a little more money. Joy and peace will not be found if you simply marry the right person. Joy and peace will not be found if you simply buy the perfect home. They will not be found if your friend simply forgives you. Joy and peace will not be found simply when those who oppose you stop. They will not be found when the church does everything the way you want. Peace and joy will not be found simply when the pandemic is over and things are more like normal. No, peace and joy are only found in a genuine relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You see, the real question everyone has to answer is, do you truly know Jesus? Don't think you can cry out to God and expect an answer if you don't know him. If you don't know him, the prayer that God wants to hear from you is a prayer confessing your sin a prayer asking for forgiveness and a prayer confessing Jesus as Lord and asking him to take control of your life and then to help you live for him. That is where it starts because once you do that, you will even approach those who pose you differently because you're not concerned about whether others think exactly like you, but more concerned about whether their hearts are right with God. And starting with your heart then leads to the hearts of others. And no doubt if you get your relationship with Jesus right, you will discover joy and peace that you are longing for and be able to lay your head down at night. Everything in your life may not be coming up roses, but peace and joy will be yours. And you will be able to say, as David did in this psalm, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let's pray together. Our Father, I'm so thankful today that we can find peace and joy in our life. And the Father, today we can lie down and sleep. And we're thankful for David who knew that, who knew that source of peace and joy. 
who had experienced it even in his own life, and Father then could relay these words to us as through a song he expressed his emotions, as he expressed his experiences, and he expressed his plea to you. Father, may we learn from the words of David today and even in our own heart, God, that we know today that we can come confidently to you in prayer. That for those who know you and know the, the, the truth of Jesus and have a faith in you, that God, that we can know today that we can come to you boldly and bring our requests before you. And Father, may we also know that when people oppose us, that we can be concerned for their heart. That, Father, we can first pray for ourselves, God, that we can look in our own life and get those right. But then, Father, we can have hearts that beat for those who oppose us, knowing, God, that, that you desire that, that they love you as well and they walk in your way. And that, Father, together we would both walk in accordance to your will. And so, Father, today I take great confidence in knowing that you can even work in our lives to get our hearts where they need to be this morning. So that we get to that place where ultimately we realize that yes, in you and you alone is where peace and joy is found. And so every day that God, we can come and Father, we can lay our heads down asleep and we can be at peace because of you. I'm thankful God that we have that hope. I'm thankful that we have that joy. And we know in Father today is found in Jesus. And so this morning I pray for those who are worshiping with us here in this sanctuary and for those who are watching at home wherever they might be watching that Father today that we would all know that source of peace and joy and that today we would turn to Jesus and let him first change us and then use us to change the world so Father we just ask you your blessing because God we know today we we really even in this time of prayer don't have anything to offer you on our own but Father even in this prayer God we are dependent upon your grace we're depending upon your mercy but we're thankful that's the God that you have proven yourself to be and shown yourself to be a God of mercy and a God of grace so, Father, we thank you today that we can come to you in this time and even give this invitation to you. And know, Father, indeed, God, that you're hearing us and you're ready to move as we cry out to you, the God of glory and grace. So bless this time, I pray. Again, we're going to offer this up to you, Lord, and ask for you to move in our hearts. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.